It is so easy to gloss over these introductory portions of the epistles, but I read this text from 1 Corinthians a couple of weeks ago on a plane. And people who know me know I really don't enjoy flying. Like, I hate flying. I get really anxious when I fly. I have trouble concentrating. I can't read anything. I can always listen to music. I can watch movies if it's not too bumpy, but I can't read typically when I'm on the plane. But I read this simple introduction text from Paul to the Church of Corinth and it captivated me. The language is so encouraging and so empowering and I believe that we are invited to receive it as our own in our time because it says things like the grace of God has been given to you. You have been enriched in Christ, in speech, in knowledge of every kind, and you are not lacking. You are not lacking in any spiritual gift. You are strengthened, blameless. God is faithful, and you are called into this Christ fellowship. This greeting has Imago Dei theology written all over it. And a lot of you already know how I feel about Imago Dei because I talk about it so much and I'm not going to stop. I love this theological concept that we have this connection to the divine and it goes so deep all the way to the core of who we are and how we were created. It's our shared origin story. And it makes me think of how my grandma used to say, remember where you came from. She would say it all the time to us growing up. Over anything, she would say it. If we were struggling with some deep tragedy or she thought we should get over something, she would say it. Remember where you came from. Or if we had the audacity to be wasteful, to leave a can of unfinished soda on the counter, she'd snap at us. What are you doing? Wasting things. Remember where you came from. And I hear rumblings of this in Paul's ancient greeting to the church at Corinth. Remember where you come from. Remember who you are. Imago Dei. You were made in the image of God. The Spirit of God is living and active in you. It's as if Paul needed people to get back to this foundational truth before he said anything else. This Imago Day message seems really important, even urgent then and now. And the context of when it was written helps us as we can understand it in our time. See, Paul is writing to a fledgling church. And of course, they were struggling because not only were they creating something totally new, but what they were up to was radically inclusive for its time because all kinds of voices and perspectives were trying to come together as one church body. See, in Paul's day, Corinth was literally where the cultures of the East and West met. So the people of this church would have been both racially and culturally diverse. 
From intellectual Greeks to the socially elite to Romans, Jews, converted slaves, men, women, all accounts show a diverse congregation trying to figure out sacred community together within this totally new Christian framework. And I can't help but see parallels in our own day because in a lot of ways, we are a part of a massive paradigm shift in our time and we are gaining momentum in our efforts to decolonize theology, to rethink church culture and norms, to reassess traditions and imagine anew, we too are a part of building a totally new Christian framework in which radical inclusion is the pole star. Around here, we like to say, love thy neighbor, no exceptions. We do this not because we are already an inclusive church, but because we are humbly working toward inclusion. And one way to measure inclusion is through the diversity of our community's landscape. See, diversity matters because it's evidence that the work of inclusion is taking place. And inclusion is more than simply extending a welcome. Inclusion is making space scooting over so that everybody has room at the table while, and this is really important, while intentionally centering the voices that have been consistently and historically silenced. I think one of the reasons the Sunday morning hour is thought to be the most segregated hour in America is because the church as a whole has been more concerned with uniformity that is based on dominant culture norms instead of prioritizing unity through the process of inclusion. The church has been more about protecting than innovating. It has been more about slapping band-aids over wounds instead of working to become a healthy and whole community. We want diversity, right, in theory, but in practice, putting in the actual work to become diverse is really difficult because it includes not just extending open arms to people and their smiles, but also making room for their pain. Now, I suspect that our past traumas, our wounds, shape us possibly more than anything else. Like, we are shaped by the pains we have known and the pains we do know, and these experiences inform how we function, and they inform how we see the world, and they affect how we engage with the divine, all the way to how we understand and behold the very image of God. We have a lot of trauma among us in this room, sitting in these seats, to be sure. A lot of us in here have spiritual trauma. Many of us are at church because we were originally indoctrinated into it, but at some point we started questioning what we were spoon-fed. We begin to wonder, what keeps me around? Why does this matter that I would follow Jesus? What compels me to continue doing this spiritual work? 
I think on some mystical level, it has to do with us wanting to be one with our God, our Creator. We want that divine intimacy. We want to experience things like hope and peace on a soul level in a way that goes with us no matter our circumstances. And we have discovered that when we are in touch with the presence of God in our lives, when we are consistently leaning into the truth of our Imago Dei, we tend to come into contact with these spirit roots more readily. And we find ourselves rubbing shoulders with peace and reaching out and touching hope and getting a glimpse of joy and feasting on love. We experience divine oneness with God. And spiritual work is really just maintenance work of staying connected. But this oneness is incomplete without radical inclusion. Christ embodied this kind of inclusion, this endless work of making space, humbling himself for the sake of the other, he embodied it all the way to the cross and beyond. And we are called to this same work. And it is difficult, complicated work. And this is why as we roll up our sleeves and really get into it, we must keep where we come from, who we are in sight. We must remember our Imago Day. But with this comes the responsibility of recognizing this Imago Dei in others as well. This is my epiphany. We must become practiced at holding dear the Imago Dei of the other. Not just the belief in it, but the discipline of it. When we look inward, recognizing and tending to the image of God within us, and when we combine that with doing the same thing for others as well, we begin to recognize our place in the oneness of all things, and inevitably we wake up to the collective healing work we have in front of us, and we do need to heal. We need to heal from exploitative societal systems, we call those domination systems around here. We need to heal from them and from their tools of violence in our world. So, for example, the church has not been exempt from perpetuating the evils of white supremacy and oppressive patriarchal paradigms, and therefore the church cannot be exempt from these conversations about dismantling them. We have to be a part of naming these evils and we have to make room for the voices who are still most affected by them. It's not good enough to simply come to the conclusion that these power systems are wrong and not of God. Our actions must change. Our habits must change. We must become practiced at holding dear the Imago Dei of the other. So what do we do? Partly, we do what we have been doing. We sit at the feet of Jesus, right? Jesus is why so many of us are sticking around, right? We are taking our cues from him because he is the embodiment of radical inclusion and he is the embodiment of radical love and he is the embodiment of salvation, which is to say new life. Indeed, in order to do this healing work, we need to sit at the feet of Jesus. 
Now, considering the words of Teresa of Avila, who said, Christ has no body but our own, and considering those words from Paul in Scripture when he says, we are Christ's body, I have come to believe that one way to physically sit at Christ's feet now is by sitting at the feet of the very people whose Imago Dei has been most neglected. Women, especially women of color, trans women, most specifically black and indigenous women, these have been consistently mistreated and unvalued and disregarded throughout history and into the present. And I think if we really wanna be a part of healing work or kingdom work or oneness work, the place to begin is at their feet. We desperately need to listen to what women of color are saying and learn from them, but we absolutely won't be able to do this without a posture of humility. I guarantee you many people are uncomfortable hearing this right now. Because so much of our dominant culture sends us messages, both blatantly and through endless microaggressions, telling us that women of color are not to be trusted or believed. But I say, sit at their feet and look up. You will see the face of Christ. You will hear the gospel of liberation like you have never heard it before. And I have made this my task and my 2020 mantra in the spirit of Imago Day, And if you're interested in joining me, but you don't know where to start, I would suggest to simply seek out opportunities. Don't wait for them to fall into your lap or be given to you. Go seek them out. So do you like to read books? Read books by women of color. Do you like poetry? Read poetry by women of color. Do you like art? Buy their art. Support their business. Encourage their work. Center and elevate the influence and leadership of women of color. Sit at the feet of women of color. Through this simple act, we are changing the narrative, shifting the church paradigm from a hierarchical one to one that actually heeds the words of Jesus when he says the last will be first and the first will be last. Sit at the feet of women of color and learn some really valuable lessons like how God is often found on the margins, how God is present with the oppressed and in fact gives preferential treatment to the most vulnerable of society again and again and again and again throughout our holy scriptures. Sit at the feet of women of color and learn how to finally drop the white savior complex once and for all and instead learn from the value and beauty and strengths that already exist in black and brown cultures, jump into what is already happening, do work alongside these communities who are already doing the work, recognize that so many women of color have been doing this healing work of oneness for so very long sit at the feet of women of color because the church is incomplete without their voices. The church is less than without them. And I would say that part of why the church as we know it is dying is because we need their leadership. Matthew 
has been talking a lot about trauma-informed theology for months now. Becoming a trauma-informed church is something all three of us, Matt and Fran and myself, are intentionally seeking out for our community in 2020. We believe that if we're going to be whole people, if we're going to be a healthy and thriving community, then it is essential that we make room for our entire selves, including and especially our traumas. Like I said earlier, I know that we are all dealing with our own wounds. We all have trauma. We all need healing. The thing about people of color is we get the added bonus of both personal racial traumas throughout our lives and also the racial trauma that's been generationally inherited. We're, we're still impacted by the pain of our parents and grandparents and their parents in a way that shows up in our everyday lives. And I am suggesting that there is a relationship between this racial trauma and why a lot of churches still aren't more diverse. Because besides all the well-intentioned talk of being progressive and welcoming and affirming and inclusive, our sacred spaces still don't feel safe for people of color. And we have to do the work of accepting this and changing it. Now, I really don't mean to be a downer. I really believe we are working toward this radical inclusion in this community right now. We're on the right track. It is hard and it takes time and we are learning and growing and putting in the hours and I love putting in the hours with you. I think it's just important to remember that this work will continue to be difficult. It will continue to be uncomfortable and you might get frustrated or a little squirmy every time we have these conversations and we will have them again and again, but we are in this work together. I made this my own personal mantra months ago for a reason. I desperately need to listen and learn too. If I'm honest, the deeper I get into this justice work, the more I become overwhelmed by the challenges of it. And often I get really discouraged because I realize that I have so much to learn and even more to unlearn. And I also recognize how complicit I continue to be in so many ways and how much of my theology is harmful and how much of my language and my habits need to go. And this leaves me feeling defeated. Like that rich young ruler when Jesus told him what it would take, what it would cost to follow him. And opting out of this tough work feels akin to walking away, head cast down, just like in that gospel story. This waking up, this laying down of privilege left and right, this radical inclusion isn't easy. But I really believe that if we would just continue in our efforts to really listen and learn by sitting at the feet of the most marginalized in our society, then we are moving in the right direction toward the kingdom of God, toward the kingdom of heaven, and not away. This is the most countercultural thing we could do.
to tend to the imago day of others over the powers that be, to value others over ourselves, to move over, to be quiet, and in doing so, to face our own egos all so we can lay them down in favor of spirit, in favor of oneness. This is my prayer. May it be so. Amen.